Mr. Grinch. You really are a You're as cuddly as a cat and as charming as an Joining us online, welcome home. We're so glad. I want to add my welcome to everyone else. We're so glad you chose to be with us today as we continue our Advent series. You can't cancel Christmas. You can't do it. You can't cancel Christmas. And every week we're looking at one of the aspects of Advent. And as you can tell, today our our uh, theme is the whole theme of peace, and we're going to look at maybe some aspects of peace that you've not thought about before, so we are so honored that you're joining us. We are refusing the spirit of Grinch that tries to steal Christmas, and we don't want that bah humbug spirit around here. We believe that Christ is doing great things in this Christmas season, yeah? So let's pray Open our hearts, open our minds, and get ready to receive the Word of God today. Father, I thank you so much for the opportunity to preach your Word today. God, I pray that you would put me on like a coat and wear me today, Jesus, that you would help me to say exactly what you once said, nothing more, nothing less, nothing else. Give me entrance into the hearts of men and women. and Don't let any of us leave this moment, whether this moment is live or it's later. Don't let us leave it without encountering you in a real way. And let us go away changed in Jesus' name. And if you agree, say amen. Well, you know, right now, I, I mean, I, I know in every season of life, in every uh time that we live in, there's opportunities to lose your peace. It could be that it's an opportunity because somebody cuts you off when you're driving. It could be an opportunity because something tragic happens in your life, something seemingly insignificant or something really big. But when you come to the holidays, there's also lots of reasons, stressful things that can take away your peace or try at least try to steal your peace, but, but man, 2020 just took it to a whole nother level. I mean, if there's ever been a time when it would be easy and, and seemingly justifiable to just lose your peace, it would be 2020. And then you compound all the other things, like I said, of the holidays, et cetera, and that can happen. But, but someone wisely said this, anything that costs you your peace is too expensive. Anything that costs you your peace 
is too expensive. So whether it's something seemingly minor or whether it's something that's magnanimous, either way, don't let it, we can't let it steal your peace. And, and we would all say that peace is something that we desperately want, but few people permanently possess it. We all say we desperately need it in our lives, but, but if we're honest, we let it slip in and out and really even, I think some people struggle to even truly understand what peace is. Uh, th there's obviously different kinds of peace. Jesus talked about peace that the world can give, and that's not the kind he gives, but, but he gives a different kind of peace, so there must be different types of peace, one example would be the difference between peace in my heart and peace in my head. I've been pastoring for a long time, and, and I can't tell you how many times people will come to me and they'll say, Pastor, I just, I just don't know if I have a peace about that. Many times they're playing the I don't have a peace about it card like they play the God told me card or the I don't feel leg card. Anybody ever seen those cards? They get played a lot around church. And what that really means is, I don't know if I want to do this thing. <laughs> and so we say, I'm not sure if I have peace, but there's a difference in peace in my heart that comes from God and peace in my head that can come from all the reasonings and wranglings that I can have. So, so let's talk about what peace is. Now, now, we've talked about peace a lot around here, and if you've been around for a while, you would know these couple of definitions I'm going to give you, but review never hurts you. I learned that being a children's pastor. We learn by repetition, and I got delivered from the fear of repetition many, many years ago. Uh, but if you're new, these definitions will help you get on the same page. So in Hebrew, the word for peace is shalom. Everybody say shalom. And shalom is this idea of, of wholeness or completeness. Jews would and still do greet one another with the greeting or leave one another uh, by saying shalom. The idea is not just that you have the absence of conflict, but that you live whole, mm -hmm. that you live complete. Or we would say it this way, nothing broken, nothing missing. Don't you love that definition? As a matter of fact, just say that with me. Nothing broken, nothing missing. Life can have a lot of broken places, can have a lot of missing pieces. But, but here, this word in scriptural context in the Old Testament in Hebrew is saying nothing broken, nothing missing. Then in, in Greek, there's this other word that we use uh, or, or that is used in the Bible called irene, E-I-R-E-N-E, -E, irene. And it has several connotations to it. But one is to join together in harmony. It's a peace that can only come, Strong says, from uh, the Messiah. And it's a peace that leads us, that, that through salvation leads us to ultimate peace. But there's a connotation I learned about this a long time ago. I'm going to ask Danielle to come and illustrate this with me. She loves doing this because she gets to pre pretend like she's fighting. And so, so if Danielle and I were enemies, which you could never be Danielle's enemy, I mean, Danielle is, come on. I mean, you couldn't really be her enemy, could you? I, I, yeah, they're not responding. I don't know what the deal is. But anyway, I would have thought they'd said, oh, they would have shouted. But really, they just don't know you. That's why. If you knew Danielle, you would know. You can't, you can be your enemy. So, but if you could, um, if, if, imagine we have swords, okay? And you only have one sword. I got dual swords. I'm dueling with dual swords. And so we're fighting. 
And, and it wouldn't be, we think peace means I'm going to lay down my weapons and then I'm going to have peace with you. We're going to be in harmony. But there's a connotation that I learned many years ago from a theologian named Alan Vincent. And he talked about Irene is not simply laying your weapons down, but it's actually keeping them and joining together, fighting common enemies. Right. Right. So in other words, it's not just the absence of conflict between you and I. It is us joining together, and now I got your back. So the enemies you can't even see. I got them for you. The enemy's trying to come at you from behind. I'm going to get them, and I'm going to stop them, and she's going to get my back by fighting the enemies coming at me. Give Danielle a hand. She did a great job. How many of you can see that's a game changer when you're talking about peace? Because then it's not just reconciliation where we don't have conflict anymore, and I don't hate you. It's not just the stopping of fighting against you. It's the joining of fighting for you. It's the, it's the taking it to a whole nother level. So that, that's the two definitions. Now, after you say, how does that play into Advent? After 400 years of silence from Malachi to Messiah, God had not spoken for 400 years. And when he comes in Luke chapter 2, and he speaks for the first time in, in, in Luke 2, 1, it says when the fullness of time had come. And we don't have time to unpack what all that fullness of time would mean. But when he comes, you get to verse 8 through 14 of Luke chapter 2. And let's read those together. Now, there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, and this is the first thing God spoke in 400 years, do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. Some people, or not some people, everybody say all people. Come on, say all people. Not some people, all people. For there is born unto you, verse 11, this day in the city of David, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly, I love that word, there was with the angel a multitude of angels or heavenly hosts praising God and saying, glory to God. So there's all these angels praising God. They're, they're shouting this, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill towards men. Now, when we think about peace, we tend to think of a commodity that we want to possess. And we'll get to that in just a minute. But I want to give you, if you're taking notes, this will be simple. I want to give you three different kinds of peace. And the aspects of this peace, I believe God wants us to possess in all three of these in our life. And the first one you see in this scripture, and it's peace with God. Before you can have the peace of God, you got to learn to have, you got to receive peace with God. But, but now think with me for a minute. When we think peace with God, we think that means, you know, uh, have you made your peace with God? You know, before somebody dies in an old Western, 
They would say, have you made your peace with God? In other words, have you repented of your sin? Have you asked Jesus into your heart? And that's all part of it individually. But this text that we just read is a game changer because it goes to a whole nother level. It's not just talking about the ability for one person to have peace with God, but he said, glory to God in the highest. Well, he said that they're rejoicing. I'm bringing you great, glad tidings of great joy that shall be to what men? All men, all people. And then he goes down and he says, uh, or or these angels start declaring glory to God in the highest, on earth peace, goodwill towards mankind. So the announcement was when Jesus comes, the relationship between God and humanity forever changes. See, when man sinned and fell, we got at what the Bible calls, if you, if you read King James, New King James, we, we, we were at enmity. There was an enmity. There was a chasm. There was a gulf. There was a, there was a gap. There was a wall. There was a partition. Whatever word you want to use between God and man. God and man were separated. God and man had walked together in the cool of the day, but man's sin separated him from God. And so, so then the way that they dealt with that in the Old Testament was they would temporarily bring sacrifices once a year in the temple, and there would be sacrifices made that would atone for your sin for a period of time, but then you had to keep coming back. And the law kept showing you what, how you failed and you just couldn't quite live up. And so for all of these centuries, that's the way the system worked. And there was this gap between God and man. And man's sin kept him from God. And the judgment of God or the wrath of God was in the earth. And that's why you see the wrath of God being poured out in some pretty crazy ways when, when stuff went wrong. Right? Then all of a sudden you get to the New Testament and you never see the judgment and the wrath of God be poured out that way again other than on the cross. Why? Because these angels are making an announcement that once and for all on earth there's going to be peace and God is going to deal with man with his goodwill rather than his judgment. Because his judgment is going to be poured out. His wrath is going to be poured out on his son and now it doesn't have to be poured out on you or I anymore. So I've got good news for you. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter how you've acted. Listen, there may be natural consequences to those, but once you're born again, the cross eliminates the judgment of God. The enmity, that cavern, that that chasm that was between you and God is eliminated, and you are right with God, and there is peace on earth. Listen, I'm preaching... with more passion than you're shouting at the moment, but, but I'm, I'm praying this is going to hit you on Tuesday. This announcement of peace on earth, goodwill toward men, it's not just a cute Christmas carol. It's an announcement of God is going to deal with man forever differently because of Jesus. That is beyond good news. Now, This peace on earth becomes peace with God. We're at peace. Earth is at peace with God. Before the cross, the earth was not at peace with God. 
So we are at peace with God. And that means, remember Irene, there's no battle between man and God, but now God is fighting, not with man, for man. So your enemies have now become God's enemies. Remember when I did that a minute ago? Daniel's enemies became my enemies. How many of you know that if you are in a battle and God begins to fight your enemies, that God taking on your enemies like they're his enemies is good news for you? Because you could never win on your own. But Jesus has never lost a battle. And he never will. So, 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 so watch this, watch this. If, God, if your enemies become God's enemies, then your enemies can never be people. Because God can't be an enemy to somebody he's at peace with. See, he announced peace on earth, goodwill towards mankind. So God has declared a peace treaty with humanity. It's called a covenant. And he cut that covenant so God, if you look at people as your enemy, then you're missing it because God can't fight for you, fight your enemies, because remember, your enemies become God's enemies. And so here's the problem. If you're trying to make people your enemy, God can't fight in that instance because he's not going to fight with people. See, and here's where we're getting mixed up in America. Republican Christians think that Democrats are their enemy. I got really quiet in here. And Democrat Christians think that Republicans are their enemy. And, and non-party Christians in America think both parties are their enemy. <laughs> but the thing is, people are never your enemy. Come on, say that. Say, people are not my enemy. Matter of fact, say it like this. Say, people are never my enemy. Some of you say, but what if they're really bad people? What, what about, what, what, wasn't, wasn't Hitler the enemy? No. The demons controlling Hitler were the enemy. The why? Because the Bible says in Ephesians, we wrestle not, we, in other words, we, our enemy is not flesh and blood, but principalities and powers and spiritual wickedness in high places. So listen, it's not the person that's your enemy, it's the demons and the principalities and the demonic forces that are working through them that are the enemy. And God will fight the demons in them and never fight them. Some of you say, now, wait a minute, Pastor Lane. Are you saying we just ought to let all them bad people go? What if they're really bad people? Great story. Great question. Great story to answer the question. There's a guy, uh, or there is a guy named Bob Goff. Anybody ever read any Bob Goff? I had the privilege of listening to him and meeting him for a few minutes uh, a year or so ago. He's a great guy. If you've never read him, you need to read him. He's one of the most unusual characters he he's has a few books out. One's called Love Does, and one's called Everybody Always. 
and I think it's in Everybody Always, he tells a story how he's an attorney, and Bob, uh, Bob, Bob just kind of lives a very unusual Christian life. Matter of fact, when you read the book, you'll be encouraged and discouraged simultaneously. You'll be encouraged because you think, man, this is amazing. These stories are incredible. You'll be discouraged and say, why am I not a better Christian? But anyway, um, not really, but kind of. Bob, but Bob, Bob's just crazy in a good way, and, and he's crazy on purpose. Bob just loves people. And so somehow as an attorney, he, he, his, his, his life just takes him on these crazy journeys. His office is in Disney World, just because he could. He just decided, I wanted an office in Disney World, so I was in Disney World. And he ended up being a consul, an honorary consul for, uh, for the, the Republic of Uganda. I mean, that doesn't happen to American citizens. It's only honorary because he didn't get paid to do it. But he has all the rights and privileges of a Ugandan consul. And so he... he was in Uganda doing all this work, and he started realizing that, that witch doctors were ruling and reigning many rural places in Uganda, and these witch doctors were really bad folks. There was one uh, named Kabi who was particularly bad character, and, and these witch doctors, had not, none of them, not one, had ever been tried. He had, they had never been able to take him to court for two reasons. One, because judges were scared to death of him. Attorneys didn't want to prosecute him because if you did, they would, they, they would put a curse on you and bad things would begin to happen. And, and if you don't understand the power of the Spirit and don't understand that God is fighting for you, come on, that's a scary thing. I mean, this guy, Cobby, one time they did a, a television interview with him. He looked in the camera and started speaking, and the whole camera went blank and fuzzy, and, and just the demons in him just shut down the whole camera interview. I mean, this guy was, he was like demon-possessed. So these witch doctors would do these horrific things to children. They would take five, six, seven, eight, ten-year-old kids. They would take them out into the jungle, and they would cut off their private parts because they believed that something magical happened if they as a witch doctor hid that and kept them sort of as souvenirs. The problem is once you did that, they would die. Well, there's a lot of problems with that. But the problem with prosecuting them is once you did that, they would die and you had no witnesses. So not only was there no attorney or judge that would prosecute them, there was no witnesses to testify against them because the children all died. The forensics weren't as easy to take care of in Uganda as they would be in the United States. So... Bob determined that he wanted to make a difference about something like this, uh, about this and, and he said, we began to pray for God to open a door for him to be able to prosecute one of these witch doctors. And so finally, the opportunity comes. A little boy, eight years old, named Charlie, had been taken out by Cobby into the woods and his private parts cut off. He somehow survived, first one to survive. When, when Bob Goff finds out about Cobby, he flies to Uganda and he meets meets with little Charlie and his, he immediately falls in love with him and he's going to take on this case and he said, I will prosecute it. And so he helped them. He was a special uh, attache or a special uh, agent that was helping them in prosecute, prosecuting Cobby. And so they took him to trial and they won. It was such a big case. Like I said, the news media took it on and, and Cobby, after they arrested him, when he spoke to the camera, he shut down all the cameras because of the demons that were in him. But here's the thing. After he got prosecuted, he needed to be prosecuted. Some of you are thinking, well, he was Charlie's enemy. He was Bob's enemy. He was innocent people's enemy. No, not Cobby. The demons working through Cobby. Are you with me? Yes. And Bob said this. 
He said, once we got him in prison, he ended up going to a maximum security prison. I've been to maximum security prisons in America. I've been to what is known as the worst prison in the United States. I've been to death row. I've talked to inmates. I've looked into the eyes and the soul of men who have mass murdered people. It's a very eerie feeling. I've also then been in, in prisons in third world nations. And, and listen, the, the roughest prison in America is like a country club compared to some of these. I've never been to one in Uganda, but I can only imagine what a maximum security prison in Uganda looks like. Bob said that after he gets put away, of course, I'm sure he was feeling pretty good about himself, and he's thinking we've done the right thing, and he had, and we saved Charlie's life, and they had, and miracles were happening in little Charlie's life, and that's wonderful, and Cobby was never going to be able to hurt another child again, but Bob said this, every time I wanted to hate Cobby, I felt far from Jesus. Every time I wanted to hate Cobby, I felt far from Jesus. Why? Because Cobby was not Jesus' enemy. Cobby was not Charlie's enemy. Cobby was not Bob's enemy. Cobby was a product of demonic influences that caused him to do bad things. So, so Bob realizes I need to share the gospel with Cobby. Jesus loves Cobby just as much as he loves Charlie. See, if you don't believe that, then you don't believe the gospel. If you don't believe that God loves the worst person you know the same way he loves you or an innocent child, then you don't understand the power of the gospel. And so he realized, I gotta go into this maximum security prison. So he goes into this maximum security prison. And when he gets in there, he preaches the well, well, he starts sharing the gospel with Cobby, and Cobby begins to tell him his own story. And he says, I was raised by a witch doctor. And then Bob realizes Cobby is just a product of the way he was raised because his father did the very same thing. So he thought it was what he was supposed to do. And he said, Listen, I know I've done bad things. And somehow this man who had never done anything good that we know of, he had done horrific evil. There's no telling how many children he had mutilated and murdered. All of a sudden, the power of a man who should have been his enemy, acting like Jesus and sharing the love of Jesus with him. Cobby said, I, I, I know I'll never leave this prison. I know I'm never going to get out of here, but I just need you to know that I need forgiveness. And Bob said, you don't just need my forgiveness. You need the forgiveness of the Lord Jesus Christ. He died on the cross for you. And Cobby gave his heart to Jesus that day and got born again. But then Bob thought, wait a minute. While we're here, we ought to just have a revival. So Bob says, can I preach to all the inmates in this maximum security prison in Uganda? And they said, no. You can only preach to him because you were his prosecutor. That's the only reason we let you in. But you can't preach to all these others. But then they looked and said, but he can talk to them and pointed to Kabi. So Kabi's a brand new Christian, just received Jesus. And Bob said, you're going to preach today. So Kabi preaches to 3,000 inmates and many of them give their life to Jesus. Why? Because one man named Bob Goff became like Jesus and realized that there is peace with God. 
he said, Bob said, it was the best, worst sermon you've ever heard in your life. He said, he said, Cobby mutilated scripture. He got all the stories wrong. He mixed it all up, but he gave an altar call and many people came to Jesus and he didn't know what to do and he taught him about baptism. So he just started grabbing jugs of water and pouring it on people, telling them they were baptized. I don't know if theologically that works, but hey, revival broke out in Uganda in a maximum security prison because somebody walked in peace with God. They went on and said, you know what? What if we could do something to train these, these witch doctors so they quit doing this? They realized, so they, they started prosecuting all these others. And when they would get with them, they would say, what do you need? They said, education. Most of them didn't have one. So he sent teams in to start educating them. And these men that a few years before were mutilating children were learning their ABCs. And then they would share the love of Jesus with them and they would get set free from being witch doctors. See, if Bob had viewed Cobby as the enemy, he'd have never changed him. Do you know God can never assign you to change people you despise? If you really believe that somebody's political persuasions are, are, are against the kingdom, you still ought to love them enough to have an inroad into their life to minister to them because if you're going on social media saying how bad they are, let me tell you something. God will never give you an audience to minister to them and maybe God wants to use you to preach the gospel to them. Somebody say peace with God. The second thing is once we understand peace with God, we have what everybody really wants, and that's the peace of God. When we talk about peace, that's the thing that everybody is looking for, is the peace of God. Can we just put that up there? The peace of God is where he says, uh, um, it, or it, where it says in, in the scripture, Philippians 4, 7, and the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and your mind in Christ Jesus, so the peace of God passes understanding. The peace of God passes understanding. I, 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 get, I get amused sometimes. It's, well, it's not amusing. I get more bemused than amused. I get kind of bewildered when I'm ministering to people and they're facing a very difficult situation and they'll say, I just don't understand. When life brings you a crisis that you don't understand, that's when you're a candidate for the peace of God. But people will say to me, I'm in the middle of this tragedy and I don't understand. My faith is shaken. Things are falling apart. I don't, I'm questioning God. And I say, you're a good candidate for the peace of God. It passes understanding. And they say, but I don't understand how I can have peace in this moment. I just said it's the peace that passes understanding. And they say, but pastor, I don't understand. Yeah, it's peace that passes understanding. Yeah, but I don't understand, exactly. But, but you don't understand, Pastor Wayne. No, you don't understand. And it's passes your understanding. But Pastor Wayne, you don't understand. I don't understand. I know, that's why you need peace. And that's why God's peace. Are, are, are you with me? 
And so many times we're, 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 we're saying, I don't understand, rather than saying, God, give me peace. When I don't understand, say, God, give me peace that passes understanding. And then when people get it, they'll come back to me and go, you know, I don't understand it. But I got peace. It doesn't make any, and I'll say, exactly. When the peace of God, when you don't understand, you need the peace of God. And then when the peace of God comes, it passes your understanding. It's the peace of God. So the peace of God passes understanding. Also, the peace of God guards from anxiety. The peace of God guards you from anxiety. Do you know, right now, I don't want to get these statistics wrong. Let me just read these. Anxiety disorders in August of 2017, the ADAA said that anxiety disorders are the most common mental illness affecting 18% of the American population or 40 million adults. That's in 2017. What do you think it is in 2020? Then, then the National Institute of Mental Health says that 1 million Americans will experience anxiety attacks every month. Once a month. The peace of God is what kept me when I was in Burundi and war broke out, bombs were going off in the streets. The peace of God is what kept me in Peru when I was going up the Amazon and the Marignon River and witch doctors were actually trying to put curses on us and we had our own little showdown with a witch doctor in, in Peru who, who, whose mother got healed when we prayed for her. The peace of God is what has kept me through lots of crazy situations all around the world. But you know, I wish I could stand up here and tell you that I've always walked in the peace of God, but I, like you, have not. Isn't it funny that we can walk in peace in one situation and then in another situation lose it and let it go? One of the most trying times for me when I, I don't know that I had a full-blown panic attack, but if, if I've ever had one, it was this time. Kelsey, our oldest daughter, was born and, and, and she had to have a surgery when she was 12 weeks old. She had to have some procedures and then a massive, major surgery going under anesthetic and everything at 12 years, or 12 weeks old, not 12 years old, 12 weeks old, sorry. 12 weeks old. So, so she's three months. And when they came out, they had to put her in restraints so that she couldn't touch her face and mess up the surgery. She would cry and one out of those restraints and it would break your heart. One night, she cried herself to sleep and, and when we went in the next morning, she had gotten, we wondered why she slept so long and she had, she had quit crying and, and, and she got out of those restraints. We didn't have baby monitors so you couldn't watch them like you do now. And they said, if you don't leave her in her room, she's never gonna get any rest. You're just gonna have to put her in there and let her deal with it. It was the hardest thing as a parent but when we came into her room, she had gotten out of those restraints and ripped all her bandages off, and there was blood all in her little blonde curls and all over her face, all down her little, her little nightgown, and I freaked out. As a father, first child, three months old, it was the most devastating thing ever. Anxiety gripped me. We called the doctor, and he, he just said, well, I'm sorry, we've all done the best we can, but it may, it, may, it may be tragic, the results. We don't know. We'll just have to see when you bring her in. I was like, that's not what I was looking for, doctor. I fell on the floor and began to weep 
I curled up in a ball. Anxiety and panic came over me and guilt of what have I done? Did I mess up? We, we, we had done nothing wrong, but you feel like as a parent, you've really screwed up. Yeah? Any parents can relate? And I called Pastor Paul Brown back and he wasn't home. Perry Ann, some of you know her, Pastor Perry Ann answered and I wanted comfort and she didn't give me comfort. She just began to speak truth to me. And she said, Dwayne, this is where the peace of God comes and it'll pass your understanding. And I'm gonna pray for peace to come over you right now. And I thought, I wanted sympathy and you're preaching to me? But I didn't need sympathy, I needed truth. Come on, somebody. And she, pre she began to pray and the peace of God came over me right then. See, the peace of God will deliver you from peace. Jesus in John 14, 27 said, peace I leave you, my peace I give you, not of this world gives you, do I give you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither be afraid. Jesus had modeled this peace. He had demonstrated it. And then in John 14, he said, I'm gonna send you the Holy Spirit. I've been with you, showing you peace that's not like the world. There's two different kinds of peace. There's worldly peace and the peace of God. And I'm gonna leave you with the peace of God. And it's gonna come through the person of the Holy Spirit. And I wanna tell you, if you need peace, all you gotta do is call on the Holy Spirit. Why? Because the peace of God is always present in God's presence. So when the Holy Spirit comes, when the presence of God comes, peace comes to you. There was another time you may remember in John, right after the Passover, we've been talking a lot about lockdowns. My friends in England have had, or just finished their second lockdown. These guys didn't have a lockdown, they had a lock-in. It's the first church lock-in. And they were scared to death because the Roman government they thought was gonna get to them because of, of preaching the good news about Jesus and Jesus had been killed and they thought, are we all gonna be killed? They were terrified. And Jesus walks through a locked door and the first thing he said was, shalom, peace. I'm prophesying to somebody today, Jesus wants to walk through the locked doors of your heart and speak shalom to you. He wants to speak peace to you. See, once the peace of God comes to you and his presence is with you, then the peace of God makes you an instrument of peace. It's where you become a peacemaker. It's where you become a peacemaker. We're going to talk about that in midweek. I don't have time to do it today, but we're going to talk about that Wednesday night about how you can become a peacemaker. But that really leads me to the third kind of peace, and that's peace with man. Peace with man. Peace with man. See, peace with God is the beginning of the equation. The peace of God is this gift we get to possess. But peace with man is where we become like Bob Goff and we start displaying peace with God to other men. In Ephesians 2, 14, it says, For he himself is our peace, who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, that is, the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from the two, talking about Jews and Gentiles, thus making peace. 
I want to I wanna demonstrate something to you just very quickly, and I'm going to close. See, we talked about how God is here, and man was down here. And there was this great gulf between God and humanity. And we know that Jesus came and he fixed that chasm. He made peace. That's peace with God. But there was another gap, and it still remains today in a lot of people's lives, and that is the gap of man with man. It's horizontal. The first one is is vertical, but this one is horizontal, our relationships with other people. But how many of you can see that cross is not complete until this gets bridged? When you bridge that, now you have a cross. And this is where God begins to use us as an instrument of peace to other people. Let me read this to you just very quickly because I want you to see this in the Passion Translation. Starting in verse 14, it says, Our reconciling peace is Jesus. He has made Jew and non-Jew one in Christ by dying as our sacrifice. He has broken down every wall of prejudice that has separated us and has now made us equal through our union with Christ. Ethnic Ethnic hatred has been dissolved. By the crucifixion of his precious body on the cross, the legal code that stood out condemning every one of us has now been repealed by his command. His triune essence has made peace between us by starting over, forming a new race of humanity. Jews and non-Jews fused together. Two have now become one and we live restored to God and reconciled to the body of Christ through his crucifixion. Hatred died. Verse 17, for the Messiah has come to preach this sweet message of peace to you, the ones who were distant and to who were, uh, who were near. Talking about this is peace with God. And now we are united to Christ, both have equal and direct access to the realm of the Holy Spirit to come before the Father. Verse 19, so you are not foreigners or guests, but rather you are children of the city of the holy ones with rights as family members of the household of God you are raising like the you are rising like the perfectly fitted stones of the temple so he's talking about the temple in the old testament now he's saying you have become the temple and your lives are being built together on this ideal foundation laid by the apostles and prophets and best of all you're connected to the head cornerstone of the building the anointed one Jesus Christ himself Verse 21, this entire building is under construction and is continually growing under his supervision until it rises up completed. Everybody say completed. Come on, shout it, completed. As the holy temple of the Lord himself. Who is that? That's the church. Verse 22, this means that God is transforming each one of you into his holy, into the holy of holies. We, you individually, and us, you corporately, are being transformed into the holy of holies, God's dwelling place through the power of the Holy Spirit. 
See, the peace of God is not complete just because you have peace with God and man. The peace of God becomes complete in the finished work of the cross, which is peace with God and man and peace with man and man. But this scripture in Ephesians chapter 2 ties it all together with what is at the center of that work and what he was doing is this thing called the church. The church is at the center of it all and the goal was for all of us to have peace with God and peace with one another so that we can all be build, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets and we can begin to become the temple of God. And it says we become the holy of holies. What was the holy of holies in the temple? That's where the glory of God dwelt. That's where the presence of God came. And so I've come to tell somebody today that the peace of God will be displayed in the earth through the glorious church when we become the temple of God when we love one another when it's all ages all races and all kinds then the barriers between God and man are broken but the barriers between man and man are broken whether you're black or white or Hispanic American British Asian African it doesn't matter whether you're Baptist or Pentecostal spirit filled or not the glorious church around the world is going to finally become the temple of God and display the love of God and the peace of God in the earth and the church the church the church begins to be the instrument of God's peace in the earth So people try to destroy the church. People try to discredit the church. But the church, according to Ephesians, is going to be the very thing that brings peace in the world. And we see that announcement from 2,000 years ago on earth peace, goodwill towards men. So you cannot be my enemy because of the cross you cannot be my enemy because there's peace on earth stand to your feet if you're at home just lift your hands and all across this building would you slip your hands up for just a moment I'm going to pray for you I'm going to pray for you number one if you need peace with God never accepted Jesus, just let us know. We would love to pray with you. Just a few moments. Somebody would love to pray with you either on campus or online. We would love to pray with you. It's a very simple prayer you can pray to be at peace with God. Maybe you were at peace with God, but you feel like you've drifted away. The cross settles all of that. Just come home today. Second thing I want to pray for you is if you need the peace of God. Maybe you have anxiety. Maybe you don't have understanding. Maybe you've been walking in fear. Maybe, maybe you're, you're struggling. And you, you, you don't have, you're not walking in the peace of God. I want to pray with you if that's you. Just a moment, get ready. I'm going to pray over you. And you just receive it like a gift. And then thirdly, maybe you need peace with man. 
Maybe there's somebody you've hated. Maybe there's been somebody you've disliked because of, maybe it's not the color of their skin. Maybe it's their political persuasion. Maybe it's their lack of understanding about something. Maybe it's terrible things that they've done, but you need to, doesn't mean you condone the bad things they've done, but you can still love them. You can be at peace. So if any three of those are you, just while your hands are raised, just receive this prayer right now. Father, in the name of Jesus, you see every hand, whether it's at home, online, on campus, live or later, right now, I just pray that you would invade their heart invade their mind, the peace of God. If they need peace with you, God, let them come home. If they need peace from you, let them receive it right now. If they need peace with man, let them walk in forgiveness. Let them just, let their hearts be cleansed and let that peace pass understanding right now in Jesus' name. I just, I feel the peace of God just flowing through people. I command anxiety to leave you right now. I command fear to leave you right now. I command bitterness to leave you right now. I command offense to leave you right now. I command guilt and shame to leave you. Boy, that was for somebody right there. Guilt and shame is leaving you right now in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Listen, Chris and I love you, Bridge. There's nothing you can do about it. Have a great day.